When I think of influence, I think of my dad. Um, I got to watch him do some really difficult things growing up and I didn't understand it as a kid, didn't understand how lucky I was. But now that I'm a father and a husband myself, I understand really just how much he sacrificed for us and it's had a big influence on the man that I am today and how I seek to serve my family and how I seek to love them. When I think about influence, I think about all of the mentors in my life, whether that is um, camp counselors that I had, my fourth grade Sunday school teacher, um, friends that have invited me onto their back porch um, many afternoons, or um, lots of biblical women who have just shown me what it means to love the Lord and to follow Him in specific ways or in just inviting me into their day-to-day -day life, people that have shared their life um, specifically with me. Whether that is my mom, or whether that is um, you know a counselor that I've had, or a friend, um, an intentional mentor relationship, or those that you just watch people and are influenced by their everyday actions. When I think of influence, uh, there's a multitude of people that really spoke in my life, but one person in particular really changed me. Uh, it's an old pastor of mine, Stacy Andrews. Relationship goes way back. He was a disciple now leader for me in high school. And then he planted the church here in Fondren at the beginning of Emily and I's marriage. And we ended up buying a house two doors down from them. And I spent most nights on his porch at some point. And he sowed so much into me, uh, the love for the neighborhood, the understanding of engaging with people, the desire for the word. And uh, I can't ever thank Stacy enough for how he influenced me and how he shaped me as a man and more importantly as a pastor. If it wasn't for him, I don't know that I would be a pastor today. When I think of influence, um, currently in this season of life that I'm in, I think a lot of my father. Um, I live with my father right now, and I know not everybody has the blessing of a fabulous earthly father, but um, with Robert's talk about how we impress people from a distance, but we influence people every day in the near, um, I've got to really be influenced by my father in that way. His steadfastness, his faithfulness, his loyalty, his just ability to wake up every morning and choose to do the next right thing, even when it's hard. To be able to watch him care for my mother the way he did for years and years, um, the influence of my father has been profound on my life and um, taught me ways to love my family in, in other ways that I might not have ever known outside of how he's loved us so well. So that is who influences me the most currently. When I think of influence, I think of Tyler Crossan. He was my youth pastor when I was growing up and the way that he lived and the way that he helped delegate responsibility and challenge me towards learning and growing and taking leadership opportunities was really influential. One really pivotal moment that I remember is when we were going on a mission trip, he helped um, me have the opportunity to lead in lots of different aspects of the trip, even when I was really young and I didn't know how. He helped coach me and it really inspired me towards pursuing ministry and getting into this line of work that I'm in now. When I think of influence, I immediately go to 2 Timothy 2.2 and I think about faithful men in my life. Paul went right there to Timothy. Whatever you've heard me speak in front of faithful men and trust to them, you turn around and entrust to other faithful men. I think about people in my life uh, like Josh Braddy, who was a student pastor 
When I was really trying to grow in my knowledge of who the Lord was, and He made a priority every Thursday afternoon for two years for me to find myself in His couch on His office, and we would walk through how to read the Bible and how to be a student of what God would want to do, not just in words on a page, but in my life, and even showed me how to begin to teach the Bible, and I owe so much of my growth to him. I think about another guy, Phil McMichael, who came and was a boss of mine and taught me how to pray fervently for God to move. And I can look back in that season of my life and see that God showed up because of prayers that we prayed and that we saw God move in response to things like salvation and brokenness becoming whole. It was really just fuel uh, to a flame in my life for values like evangelism and prayer. And I think about Robert Green here. I've been at Fonder for almost nine years. And when I came in as a young guy, he gave me so much opportunity, probably before I deserved it. And was just so thankful to have been influenced and pastored for almost a decade by him. And I would see influences as someone in him who has things and entrusts and wants to give those away. So when I think of influence, I think about faithful men who would see people who want to be faithful and are willing to pass it down the line. Not supposed to have favorites, but yeah, Daniel. <laughs> Years ago, when our kids were little, like little, little, we uh, were getting to know a family, and they, we were really impressed with them, godly folks, and they were telling us that Susan and I were kicking each other on the table, because like, yeah, we, we were asking about their family rhythms, and they said they, they have meals pretty much every night. They, um, they, as a family, they pray together before the meals, and they hold hands while they're praying. I'm like, womp, womp, womp. So I thought, you know, we're... We're not, we're not doing good. So I, I, I thought, I'll bring this up and at, our, at our next family gathering, and we'll have a meal together, and we'll pray, but we'll hold hands before the meal. And I shared that with our crew. And Haley was just our, our girl, our little girl at the time, little bitty. She just was in a mood. And so she refused to hold hands. And, I, I, you know, as a father, you're always presented with challenges. I'm like, you know, press through. Just press on. I said, okay, we're still going to pray as a family. And her little brother, who's about three years old at the time, he just blurted out, she's out of the family. Um, <laughs> But I want to stand before you today and talk about family. I want to talk about influencing our kids, our kids, our grandkids, our future kids, kids that are young adults that we still have some influence and we can go back and retro. I want to talk about us uh, having a father, a heavenly father, who uh, behold what manner of love the father has bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God. But I want to be... Uh, outright in saying that I am not a family expert. I really don't believe in family experts. I'm going to throw a couple of quotations up from somebody that's a family psychologist. We would consider him to be a leading expert, but I'm sure if we put the microscope on his family, he would have his own frustrations and failings. Listen, there are no formulas in the Bible. Now, some of you, this is, you know, somewhat controversial, but you got to carefully exegete some of these Proverbs and some of the passages that seem to say there is a formula for parenting. Look at me. There is no formula for parenting, but there is biblical wisdom in how we parent. And that's what I want to point us to today. If you brought a Bible, uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at the first four verses of Ephesians 6 in just a moment. If you brought a Bible, you want to grab one. If not, you can look at the TV screen. It will magically appear on screen. Kids, barring from what the Scripture teaches, barring from what some leading psychologists talk about today... Kids have two fundamental needs within them. Uh, they need, right here, they need love and they need limits. No one's going to dispute this. This is not the controversial part of the sermon right now. Every kid needs love and limits. Can I just say, uh, if you're a child of God, you need love and you need limits. Do you know God's heart is expressed 
to you in many ways through the limits, uh, the things that he does to provide for you and protect you, and it doesn't seem like it. But as a child of God, you need love, you have love, and you need limits. These are the two cries of our heart. Now, we tend to tilt in one of these directions. If you, if you move love out over here and move limits out to the far right, love on the left, limits on the right, where would you tilt, left or right? Are you more, as a parent, if you are a parent currently, do you lean more toward love or do you lean more toward limits? Let me ask you, because everybody's been parented by a mom and a dad, a mom or a dad or whoever, you've been parented by somebody that's loved you. Uh, when you look back at them, did they tilt more toward love or more toward limits. And can I just say there's a shift that's happened over the last 50 years. It's been my pastoral experience in talking to some people and observing our culture and just knowing a lot of you. There's been a dramatic shift. I mean, it's very seismic, very sizable over the last 50 years. If you ask someone older than me, if you say, hey, did your mom and dad, did they tilt more toward love or limits? What are they going to say? The, the older crowd, limits. In fact, you hear common, it's very common for people older than me to say, you know, I never heard my dad say that he loved me. But I, I knew where the line was, and I dare not cross it. Very common, right, for people older than me. But now we're writing books, of faith-based books and secular books that are telling parents, don't try to be your, be your kid's best friend. They didn't have to say that 50 years ago. Nobody was trying that. There was a sense of elevation, a sense of authority, a sense, I know it's a kind of a sneaky word, a sense of hierarchy and all, but uh, love and limits, where as a parent, if you are a parent, where do, you, where do you tilt toward? And the people who raised you, where did they tilt toward? Ephesians chapter six, let's read the first four verses right here on the screen or in your lap in front of you. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. You know, he's going back to Exodus 20, Mount Sinai, Moses, the tablets, all that stuff. Do that, honor them so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Not a formula, but biblical wisdom. And fathers, it says fathers, not mothers. Do you think there's a reason for this? Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Twice a year, the stage, the, our current season, and this is a blessing from God. We may not always have th this favor from him. But in our current season of life, over the last several years, the stage has been full twice a year with young families who are holding up their little babies and they're doing what we call baby dedication. Very common across the land uh, in the history of the church. And it's funny, we call it baby dedication, but the baby don't know what's happening. The baby, don't know, the baby knows they're being uh, held up and maybe exploited in some way, uh, shown off or whatever, right? But they, we're dedicating babies, but what we're really doing is we're asking families, moms, moms and dads, we're asking them to dedicate themselves to the Lord and then we're making a covenant because we follow a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. He's the only one that gets it right all the time, every time, but we're called to be like him and so we make covenants. That's how we know who you are. What covenants have you made? To what extent have you kept your covenants? So we do this. We dedicate these little lions. We hold up little Zimba and come around and we have the family say something out loud. And their loved ones, their biological families and people in the church family, their small group who is here with them, will covenant with them to help them what? To do this, to raise their children in the training or the nurture, some versions say, and instruction of the Lord. A child needs love and a child needs limits. David, here's what I love about the Bible. The Bible, I say this quite a bit, and it's worth repeating. The Bible does not hide the flaws of its heroes. 
David was called a man after God's own heart. Poet, warrior, shepherd, skilled, and all these incredible talents. But in so many ways, he was a dysfunctional dad. So I preach that because it's in here, and I also want some of us to feel a little freer, that we may feel like God's grace is open to us. So, but he had many sons, and one of his sons was Adonijah. And looking, not a lot of context, but, and I know that, some of you Bible scholars, seminary students are coming after me with your, all your uh, expertise. Just relax a little bit. Admittedly, not a lot of context, but maybe it'll create a hunger for you to look it up later. 1 Kings 1.6 describes uh, this uh, in the scenario of Adonijah. But his father had never once infuriated him by asking, why did you do that? In addition, he was quite handsome and was born after Absalom. That's another son. We'll, we'll talk about his incredible handsomeness in a moment. But some versions of your Bibles, if you have one open on your lap, it might say that he was never once repudiated. He was never rebuked. And can I tell you how um, tough that is? To not ever have somebody over you. Remember last week we talked about the perspective of the old and the passion of the young? And we all need that. In that context, it was Paul becoming a spiritual dad. Timothy had Lois and he had Eunice, mom and grandma, but he didn't have a, a spiritual a, a father. And so a spiritual father God had for him. And they planted churches. Uh, they spread the gospel of revolutionary love around the world. But it took a mentoring relationship because of the void of positive male influence in his life. Well, here's a story of a dad who never once went to his son and said, why'd you do that? Can I tell you, circle that question. That's a good question to ask your little people. That's a great question. And they may not feel it in the moment, but if you've been parented well, you've had a parent who've asked you, why did you do that? It's important for us. We need what? We need love and we need limits. Today, I want to give you Three questions that every kid needs answered. Note takers, that's your cue. Three kids, uh, I'm sorry, three, not three kids. Three questions that all kids need answered. And here's the first one. Where are the boundaries? 1,000 juvenile delinquents were asked, looking back on your life, your young life, what's something that you wish you had had to know that you were loved? What's something you wish you had to know that you were loved? The number one answer, the top answer was, I wish I'd been disciplined more. Now, I bet you didn't think that answer was coming. I wish I had been disciplined more. Now, let's go to the word, and I'll tell you why that's the heart cry of everybody. Because discipline is tied to love. Listen, y'all, wrath is tied to love. That's another sermon. But discipline, done well, is tied to love. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, it's full of it in that chapter. But one verse, because we only have, preachers only got so much time. Verse 11 of Hebrews 12. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time. Think about that spanking you got when you're little and just shout out, amen, amen. But it's, it seems painful because it is painful. It hurts. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Notice this is not a sporadic exercise. This is a consistent presence that's training a young person and giving them love and limits, love and limits. A heart cry of a kid, three questions that every kid needs answered. Number one, where are the boundaries? Where are the boundaries in my life? And I, you know, it doesn't seem enjoyable. Notice the phrase, at the time. The healthier we are as people, I'm talking to adults, I'm talking to old people in the room. 
we all need to realize that there's immediate and there's eventual. And just because something's not happened immediately doesn't mean God's looking the other way. Doesn't mean there's not going to be a come up. Doesn't mean there's not going to be a consequence. That's good and bad, isn't it? But just because and sometimes we like, well, immediately, well, I got away with this. Immediately, nothing's happening. But you will reap what you sow. What you hide in darkness will be exposed in the light. That can terrify you or it can be very freeing to you immediately and eventually. But eventually, eventually that discipline, and I think you know this, but it's talking about earthly fathers, but God disciplines those he loves. He's going to allow you to experience some pain. I bring, because I'm a fool, I can bring pain to myself. I can bring the loving, careful instrument of God's correction into my life. I don't want it in the moment. I don't. And I'm a grown man. I don't want it in the moment. But I'm telling you, it is an act of love for God to do that. For his grace to lean on me and say, uh-uh, you're wrong here. This is how you need to handle that. This is, this is you know, mind your heart. And I want you to know that there are consequences. By the way, I know, I know grown people who've been over-coddled. And a lot of times it's over-mothered and under fathered and they don't realize there's limits and consequences and they're in the workforce and they're older men or women and they're at a place where they you know oftentimes they marry someone who acts like their mom who over coddles them they need to realize there's limits and consequences and this is love this is God's act of love Kevin Lehman is one of those people we may call a family expert he's a psychiatrist he's he said there's two realms two ways and they're extremes and look before I show you they both lead to rebellion both ways are ways that parents discipline, and they both lead to rebellion. One is domineering, one is permissive. Let's look what he says about both. Domineering, Kevin Lehman says this, many parents don't act in authority, they act as dictators. Hey, you're going to do what I tell you as long as you live under my roof, and get that look off your face, or I'll change it for you. And you're probably wondering, should I laugh? Should I giggle a little bit? You shouldn't. Can I tell you something? This whole, like, I was thinking about this, get that look off your face is a terrible way to parent. Now, I'm for modifying behavior, and the younger you are, the more you have that instrument at your disposal. But telling a child to get a look off their face is giving them, a, giving them the impression they can't express healthy emotions. And that, we need to stop. We need to stop that. Let your child express. Let them, let them, and then you have an opportunity. It's only through their face and their emotions that you have an opportunity, a green light, to shepherd the children as God would want them to be shepherded. But this is the, the domineering way. The other side, you, you, you know that leads to rebellion. Some of you could stand up and say, uh-huh, I'm, I'm a part of this testimony. But there's also the permissive side of things. Kevin Lehman says this, I want to meet your every need. I want to make sure you're happy, happy, happy. No matter what the child asks for, they get it. A grotesquely violent video game, no problem. Whatever they want, Adonijah never had a dad that said, hey, why'd you do that? And we got to be careful because we need love and we need limits. So three questions that every child needs answered. They're not just asking it. They need it answered. First, where are the boundaries? Second, uh, do you love me? This question, do you love me? David's other son was Absalom. And before I tell you something about him, I want to tell you this pretty cool verse in 2 Samuel 14, verse 25. It says this, No man in all Israel was as handsome and highly praised as Absalom. From the sole of his foot... To the top of his head, he did not have a single flaw. Do we have an Absalom in the room today? Anybody that like, if you're, if you're here, if you're flawless, man, you just got it all head to toe. Come on up, walk across the stage. We want to 
We want to admire you in all your glory. You would think that Absalom, I kind of, that messes up for me, the top of his head. I kind of, that kind of disqualifies me. But anyway, Absalom, you would think he had it going on. He, I mean, he, had, he was the most handsome guy in the land. Who wouldn't want to sign up for that? But you know what he didn't have? The attention from his father. For three years, he and his dad didn't speak. For three years. Look what it says later in 2 Samuel 14. Then Absalom sent for Joab. Joab is a general in his army. He sent for Joab in order to send him to the king, but Joab was unwilling to come to him, so he sent again a second time, but he still would not come. Then Absalom said to his servants, See, Joab has a field right next to mine, and he has barley there. Go and set fire to it. So Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Your kids need your attention. Your kids eventually will get your attention. Your kids and our kids and our nation's kids will get our attention because they will set the field on fire. They want to know deep in their heart, where are the boundaries? They want to know deep in their heart, do you love me? And if they don't feel the love, because love that's not expressed is not love. And they will set the fields on fire. They will do drugs and alcohol. They will become addicted to things. They will get pregnant. They will get somebody else pregnant. They'll end up in jail. They will set the fields of fire to get your attention. And so let us be the church that says, church and parents and grandparents and mentors, let's see our little people. Let's partner with each other and let's love them deeply from our hearts. Let's let them know, how do you spell love? Some of you need to hear this. It's not your material possessions. It's not the lavish gifts that you give him. They want your attention. I'll never forget years ago riding around with someone who had a famous dad. I've got to veil this kind of thinly to be careful here. But he had a very, very, very famous dad, nationally known. And I remember thinking, this is cool to be with him. I'm going to hear cool stories about his dad. And within 15 minutes of talking about that dad, he had pulled the car over and the two of us were in tears about his, the dad that would never pay attention to him. And we watched his marriage unravel. We watched him become estranged from his parents. We watched him become addicted and go to Hattiesburg and get checked in. We watched this unravel. Um, kids need love. And love, y'all, is shown in attention. There are no substitutes for attention. Now, it's not attention all the time, but it's attention over time. And you'll know, you'll know, hey, dads especially, golf every weekend and the travel that you do, that might be good. I don't, I'm not here to meddle in your business. But if you have one kid who needs your attention, you need to cancel that golf game and stay in town a little more than you do and show attention. Where are the boundaries and where is the love? Am I love? First Peter 4, 8, so good. Let me extend grace if I'm being too harsh. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. I heard this once, and it freed me up. It freed Susan up. Hey, parents, you don't have to be perfect, but you do need to be present. You don't have to be perfect, but you do need to be present. Our kids are 25, 22, and next month, the young one will be 20. And we have made our mistakes as parents. Susan, boy, she's made a ton of mistakes. I've... <laughs> mostly got it right but we've made so many mistakes but we're so glad that love covers a multi we'll start worrying about something that you know there and we're like man god's got this 
And here's the thing, not perfectly, but did we love? Did we love? Love covers a multitude of sins. One more time, parents, you don't have to be perfect, but you need to be present. Reach out. I hope you're in a small group already, but talk about parenting aspirations. Talk about parenting fails. What you'll find is some people who will lock arms with you and say, me too. Oh yeah, let me help you. Let me tell you about this. Oh man. And you'll find a lot of people my age who made a lot of mistakes, but man, we got, we got three examples of God's grace running around and we couldn't love them more and we couldn't be proud and their lives are still being written and everything. But we're so glad that love covers a multitude of sins. Three questions every kid needs answered. Where are the boundaries? Do you love me? Thirdly, do I have what it takes? John Ortberg is a pastor and author, and years ago he wrote about taking his little daughter to see the movie Snow White, the classic film. And they're sitting in the movie theater, and she was barely, she barely weighed enough to sit in the seat. You know those movies, it's like kind of fall in between the things. And he, he finally gets her, you know, puts enough weight on it so that she can look up and see Snow White. He's thinking, he's a pastor and author and philosopher, and he's like watching the film, and he's thinking about the message of Snow White. He's like, wait, this girl, Snow White, is weak and helpless. She like is, she's, got a, she's in a relationship with a dysfunctional stepmother who's kind of beating her up a little bit. She, she thinks she can't find meaningful work. She doesn't really know that she has what it takes, and so she works for seven short, cranky guys. And John's talking, this pastor's talking about he wanted to cry out. He didn't want to interrupt the movie for his little daughter or the other people, but he wanted to cry out, like, don't do this. Like, tell that stepmother that she needs a therapist, that you won't put up anymore with her neurotic insecurities and her fading attractiveness. Tell her to go get therapy, conversion therapy, actually. Uh, those seven short, cranky guys, don't work for them. Serve God. Find meaningful work. And when it comes to finding Prince Charming, let Daddy choose Prince Charming for you. There is a sense that the world will beat us up. And this writer, this pastor is right. We need to look at our young people and along the way, we need to balance this. We need to say, you won't always be successful. In fact, I know I'm quoting from too many uh, motivational speakers, so I better be careful, but uh, it's your failures. You learn more through your failures than through your successes. If life was a string of blissful highs and successes, nobody would wanna be with you. You would think it's all about you. But it's failure that humbles and disciplines and refines you. So, hey, little people, you will fail a lot, but you have a gift in you. You have a gift in you. You have what it takes. You know what we need? Big children, old children, little children. We need Ephesians 2.10. Remember what Paul, he would open Ephesians and say, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. That's not good news, is it? That's terrible news. That means you don't need a motivational speaker. That means you don't need to turn over a new leaf. You don't need a new you in the new year. You need a savior. And he says, you're dead, but you're chosen. You're redeemed. You're loved. You're sanctified. You're cleansed. And then he says in Ephesians 2.10, after he says, for by grace, you've been saved through faith. He says this, for we are his workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Your child is little and they make a work of art at school and they bring it home and what do you do? You don't see how they color it out of the lines and how it doesn't make sense and it's pretty erratic. What do you do? You put it on the fridge like it's Picasso. And you're like, why? Because is that a great work of art? No, because it's your child. Because they're yours and you believe that they are your workmanship. 
You believe in them because they are yours. Can I tell you, that's the love of God. That's the love of God for us. Nobody in the room really is all that. If you're enjoying a lot of success, you got a lot of money in the bank, man, we love you. Make sure you tithe at Fondren Church. But you're not all that. Like, you're, you're not all that. It's not your success. It's grace and it's faith. But at the core of how God made you, we're his workmanship. And he's creating in you. The Greek word is the word where we get our English word poem. And that means God is writing a story with your life. Will you let him? Will you let him write a story with your life? Maybe the most important question we can ask as a church is what stories will we tell? What stories will we tell? As long as we're pointing people to God's goodness, his power, and his grace. And this is God to us. You are my workmanship. David, who didn't get it right as a dad for a good part of his life, would go out under the starry sky above And he would look up at the firmament of heaven and he would say, remember this, what is man, Psalm 8, what is man that thou art mindful of him? I think I just quoted King James. That won't happen again. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Just a speck of dust in an expanding universe. Scientists are telling us today how expansive the universe it is. Our feeble minds can't even grasp it. And David says, what is man? The scripture tells us that we're his crowning achievement. We are his crowning achievement. So the gospel, the message of what God gives us is that you have what it takes. You won't get everything right and you won't get your way. Love says, I love you no matter what. Limits say, you can't get whatever you want. And we need love unconditional no matter what. No strings attached. This is my love for you. But limits say, "Eh, be careful here. Not that, not that, not that. But let us help our children realize who God says they are, what they can discover, what he's created in them. Dr. Anthony Bradley, note takers, write that name down. Dr. Anthony uh, Bradley is a a leading thinker in our day. I admire, for me as a white guy, it's cross-cultural when I read uh, his writings as a black man, but he's profound all across the spectrum of, of culture when it comes to sociology uh, and stuff, and I, I see somebody shaking their head about him. He said this, his observation, uh, four things I've seen undo a person's faith. It's a pretty heavy category here, all right? So l- give this your attention. Four things I've seen undo a person's faith. I've seen this. I concur with Dr. Anthony Bradley. Divorce, spiritual or sexual abuse, Parents, pastors, moral failing. But look at number four. Domineering fathers who lacked affection. It's easy for dads to, we don't say it out loud, but we sometimes think, well, I haven't abandoned or abused. I'm stable and I'm consistent. But are you emotionally distant? And this is one that we want to do right with. This is one that we need to get right. Our children need our love. They need it in the form of attention. If they don't get it, they'll burn down the fields. And he's right. And this has been my pastoral experience. When I'm talking to someone, what seems on the surface, like the auspices of them calling me and coming to see me, is under the umbrella of, I want to talk about an intellectual problem I have with Christianity. But then we start talking. And I see that it's way more than an intellectual problem. That it's emotional. 
and that so often it's tied to something right here. You see, we psychologists have weighed in, and this is massive. A father's absence communicates a person's unworthiness. I wasn't important enough. I wasn't good enough for my dad to be there for me. Look at these statistics. In the absence of deep father-child connection is the following. 63% of youth suicides, 90% of all homeless runaway youths, 85% of all kids exhibiting behavioral disorders, 71% of high school dropouts, 70% of incarcerated juveniles, 75% of substance abuse patients. Hashtag dads matter. Dads that don't just provide food, clothing, and shelter, like go to the animal kingdom, like a possum dad gives food, clothing, and shelter. But we're called to be parents, mom and dads, to come around and to partner with each other and to say, here's the attention, here's the love. Let me point you to a heavenly father who loves you. Back up if you would. Sorry, I got out of order. This is a book that I read last year called by Paul Vitz called Faith of the Fatherless, hand in hand with what Dr. Anthony Bradley talks about. Notice the subtitle, The Psychology of Atheism. Sigmund Freud, Frederick Nietzsche, Jean-Paul Chartier, Bertrand Russell, on and on and on and on. These prominent atheists writing that there is no God as if they've spanned the globe and universe and they know there is no God. You know, be humble enough to say, I'm agnostic, I'm not really sure, but they're atheists. There is no God, but every single one of these great thinkers who've influenced millions had an abusive or violent father or no, no loving affection from their father at home. Why is this man so popular? They call Joe Rogan the uh, Oprah for dudes. I was listening to a roundtable this week, watching a roundtable with men and women who are, I think all of them are astute cultural observers. You wouldn't recognize some of their names. And they were talking about the popularity of Oprah for dudes. And they offered opinions like, well, you know what, as an interviewer and a journalist, he's curious. We lack curiosity. Everybody comes, like you watch Fox, you watch CNBC, you watch NBC, you watch CNN. Everybody, they got their agenda. They, they're trying to train you to think a certain way. They're, through fear and division, they've already got their agenda, and they're given all the news slanted through their agenda. But they were saying that Joe Rogan is refreshingly different. He's curious. So he talks about all these weighty subjects. He had some very wrong opinions about the New Testament manuscripts and the life of Jesus Christ. But so I'm not up here saying, hey, Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan. I'm just telling you that I was listening to them talk about this man. He's curious and he's refreshingly different in a world of same agenda-based journalism. But they also said, uh, they talked about how, uh, you know, the masculinity is lacking and that men are crying out for positive male influences. Uh, just a few weeks ago, a gentleman I met, him and his wife, down front, he was telling me about himself, and it was curious to me. I hope you're not in the service. But he was just said, hey, like, I like Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson. and blah, blah. He just felt the need to throw that in. I'm like, cool, dude. Like, let's talk. Like, we're men trying to figure out, we're trying to figure out what toxic masculinity is, and nobody else really should define that for us. But we're trying to figure out what real masculinity is so we as men can walk in this world. And we, know, we need to know what 1 Corinthians 16 means when it says, act like men, be strong. And there's a strength that's strength. There's a brute strength that protects people because love protects. But there's also a strength in control. You harness that strength. Why is he so popular? As fellas, fathers to you, with just a couple of minutes left, I want to say to you in particular, 
be present and be loving and learn to express yourself. I want to challenge you, you know, because all of us are like doing the Enneagram and doing the different personalities and the disc and the strength finders, all these things. There's value in them. I'm not inherently against any of them. But don't let any of those personality tests be an excuse for you to be a stoic and to be uninvolved. So let me challenge your thinking, okay? Genesis 33, I want to parallel Genesis 33, Jacob, Esau, with Luke 15, this great story that Jesus told, and everybody knows, the prodigal son. But Esau, Genesis 33, 4, Esau ran to meet him, hugged him, threw his arms around him, kissed him, and then they wept. Luke 15, 12, a made-up story called a parable by Jesus about a father and a son that goes to rebel. So he got up and went to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, notice the parallel, threw his arms around his, his neck, and he kissed him. The affection of a father, there's really no replacement for it. Statistics belie the truth. Because some homes have a dad who is stable and consistent, who's providing food and shelter, but who lacks giving his sons and daughters affection. J.D. Greer, a pastor in North Carolina, says, don't, and he says, you know, you know you've arrived spiritually, you're growing spiritually, when you start see, you don't see God, the father, through the lens of your earthly father, but you see your earthly father through the lens of God the father. Come on. Here's what I would say to you. What I've learned, it's been very freeing. I don't have to be perfect. I have to be present. And as a dad, I'm just training wheels, pointing people to the real father. All I have to do is be an earthly replica of the heavenly father. John Piper, about this story in Luke 15, uh, 20. Sorry, I'm throwing you off. Take that off the screen for just, sorry. Um, Luke 15, um, the prodigal son. John Piper says this about it. In every other parable that Jesus told, there is an action step. There is a go and do likewise. You know Jesus wants you to do something when he says go and do likewise. The parable of the good Samaritan. You know, be the person. Don't be like the priest. Don't be like the Levite. Be the person who says, I'm going to bandage you up. I'm going to take you to the hospital. I'm going to love you. I'm going to make sure your hotel's paid for. Go and do likewise. Like we need to be those people formed to do. But in the parable or in this story about the prodigal son, John Piper would say, there's no go and do likewise. And perhaps... He just wants us to sit in awe and silence and wonder about our Heavenly Father who loves us so lavishly. 1 John 3, 1. Behold, not go and do likewise. Behold the love the Father has for us that we would be called children of God. As Alex and the team come up and we get close to closing, I want to show you something that's really impacted Susan and I as we've talked about our kids being young adults now and mostly being out of the house. We're boomeranging them back a little bit, but mostly they're out of the house and we couldn't be more proud of our kids. But I want to challenge you in something we've been challenged with, to spend your days as parents pointing out where they are wrong and need to change, not that, but pouring out your love for who they are. Our youngest son who turns 20 next month, was a, he, he is in a fraternity at his college and the Sigma Chi's headed to New Orleans this weekend when I found out that the Sigma Chi's were going to New Orleans this weekend I text my Sigma Chi son and in the text I said um, remember who you are and don't act like a fool and I knew when I sent him that I knew he'd smile I knew he would smile because these days are almost over he's almost 20 when he was a young little titan, I, would, I had control over him. I don't have much control. 
So on the Green family text thread, all five of us, Susan said, hey, Wesley, tell them what happened. I didn't know what happened. His bus full of guys dead-ended the other bus, or ran it, rear-ended the other bus. The bus driver fell asleep. So it's a sad story in that that guy, I'm sure, has lost his job. But for two and a half hours at the time, uh, Wesley was waiting on the side of the road. If you know Wesley, you'll appreciate this. Wesley texts the Green family and he goes, morale is incredibly low. So I, you know, I didn't know what to say. I love the dude, but I'm, I'm kind of done pointing out where they're wrong. You know, I mean, even that text of like, don't act a fool and remember who you even that sort of playful. Because I want to pour out love for him. So I, I was texting him. Susan's just like, stop it. She's rolling her eyes at me. I'm like, you can be bitter or you can be better. You can take these lemons and make lemonade. This can strengthen you or weaken you. you can, every rose has its thorn. Every silver, she's like, stop, Robert, stop, Robert. But here's what I knew. Here's what I know about Wesley. He's a lot like me. And even though he didn't respond, he was looking, I know he was looking at his phone, smiling at his dad. He's like, when is a preacher gonna quit preaching? We've made so many mistakes. Dot, 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 more to come. But pour out love. Because there's a father who's poured out his love on you. And he's done it lavishly. Behold what manner of love the father has poured out on us. Would you stand? Father, bless this time of invitation now. Work in our hearts. Move us in areas of obedience. Let us be the church with the poor and the orphans and the widows that we administer the fatherless, that we would not take the low road and talk about our city and all of its problems, but would take, take the high road and talk about being a part of the solution, the gospel truth of a heavenly father who loves us, who's poured, out it, poured it on us lavishly. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. You come today if we can pray uh, for you, if you have a spiritual decision, direction you need in your life, if you don't know this heavenly father, you need to trust his son as your savior. We would love to walk with you this moment after service. We stay as long as anybody wants to stay and talk or uh, we, we can catch you this week. Uh, but don't look past this time. We have a few more minutes. Let's honor God as we sing and pray.